All right, here we go. Um, let's see, I'll start one sign-in sheet here. Does somebody have a pencil or a pen lying around that they don't care if it gets stolen? <laughs> Thank you. There we go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> My fountain pen. Um, and I will start this in one second. This will go to World Re Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, World Relief and Human Care, who is now collecting donations to send to the folks in Japan. So, um, you know, sort of, there'll be a, you know, an intermediate step now. It'll go to World Relief and Human Care, and they will then direct it on. So if you'd like to help, um, here you go. I'll start that right over here. Just hold your spot, though. Let's say a prayer. Um, a great prayer upon entering here. We'll say this, and then we will get going, okay? All right. Is that my wife? Ab, come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Where's she? I don't ever tell her to do anything at home. That river flows in the other direction. Here's the thing, man. Now I'm going to get a lecture at home later. Hey! Thanks for coming. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yep, okay. All right, let's pray. Hold your spot. O God, by whose spirit we are led into the wilderness of trial, grant that standing in your strength against the powers of darkness, we may so win the victory over all evil suggestions, that, will sing that with singleness of heart we may ever serve you and you alone, through him who was in all points tempted as we are, your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, same handout from last week. Anybody missing that? Anybody need one? Let me just, can I just start you with a stack and pass them backwards? Thank you. Take a second, pass those around. It should be, uh, let's see, it actually has, it starts afresh with page one. So it's number five, Bible study number five. It should say 3-6-2011 on the top. A couple over here for... John, right over here, you got a couple? Okay. Vic, right here at the center table? All right. <laughs> Someone back here need one? No, okay. All right, all right, here we go. Everybody have one that needs one? All right, here we go. Um, we do want to finish out just this, uh, this last Bible verse from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31. Um, to sort of summarize at least the past week, um, you know, last week we got through two texts. We went very quickly. But uh, if you look at that first text, 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, 5, 9, 11 to 25, um, sort of summarizes the life of the Christian as a life of action. Vic, do we have any other markers? Okay. What's that? All right. Thank you. The life of a Christian is a life of action. Um, but I do want to say something right here. Look at your, look at your Bible verse. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 5, 9, 11 to 25. If you look down there at the end, what determines the active life of the Christian? If you look at 
verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So what is sort of constitutive of the Christian life? What determines the Christian life? Jesus first. Exactly right. So Christ always gets the first word. And this also translates then to, uh, to finding the direction in a congregation. Jesus always gets the first word. This you heard from Luther a couple weeks back. Why don't you and I get the first word? Yes, exactly right, because we will mess it up. What was the thing you said last week? <laughs> he does, which I'm happy about. I'm happy. It's good to, as, as it says in the Doberstein prayer book, may the memory of my sins be so grave that I never do them again. <laughs> We're exiles to where? No! <laughs> I know, I know, I know. No, no, exiles to Eden. But your answer is correct, which is, why don't you and I decide the direction? Um, when you're out at Wheaton Religious, will you buy some more collar buttons? Man. <laughs> Usually, yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah. <laughs> there's a gap in sending money to Japan. It's the same thing around here. I say to Bruza, can we get some new ones? To which he, what does he do? Hey, Vic, can you go get some new ones? So you and I, getting back to the topic at hand, you and I, <laughs> Vicar, you still haven't passed yet. <laughs> you may not. <laughs> If it's true you love your vicarage enough to do it again, you're on the right track. Okay. That's a, I didn't mean here. <laughs> Everyone's a comedian. Okay. Back to First Peter, who has more salutary things to say. Um, what determines the direction of a congregation? It's always Christ first, because if it was up to you and me, um, it wouldn't go so well. That's because Luther said, you remember a few weeks back, I gave you this, the will is always incurvatus in se. The will is always turned in on itself. Which means what? Who matters most in the life of a sinner? The sinner. Exactly right. So if it was up to you and me, this thing wouldn't go very well. And that's important as we go forward. Um, and I said this a couple weeks back, you know, what will it be that defines us? The first thing we have to ask is, what is it that defines Christ? And not even what do you want or what do I want, what does Christ want? What does Christ need? What is it that defines the person of Christ and thereby defines his church? And then we're happy to ask, what all do you want? What do you think? Okay? But the first thing, the first word, is always the person of Christ, and you have this in 1 Peter 2. Now... That's very helpful, that the baptized life is a life of action. Then you have the next text, which is Romans 12, 1 through, what is it, 21, which then tells you, um, within the church, actions take on various functions. Actions take on various functions, and what determines your function in the church? Look at verse uh, 6, having gifts that differ. 
So what determines your function in the church? Your gifts. Exactly right. Your gifts. And let's be honest, nobody is good at everything. Okay? Nobody is good at everything. And part of our struggle has been we have a handful of people who are trying to do everything, and I'm talking about the members of the congregation, and we can't be successful. Because what happens when you know 20% does 80% of the work? Thank you very much. And that actually proves the point, because the church is not a typical organization, right? Uh, but you are right. OK. What else do you know by that? When 20% do 80% of the work, the work usually isn't done very well. And what happens to those 20%? They get burned out. And so then you have people you know, who come in all the time and say, I don't spend enough time with my husband, my wife. I don't see my kids enough. I don't get to say my prayers. And it's especially bad when working for the church, and now I'm talking about what you do on a daily basis or a weekly basis for the congregation, when that even begins to infringe upon the normal liturgical life. So what happens is you say, I'm so busy, I can't come to church on Sunday. Right? I, and that happens. I'm so busy. I, or I worked all day Saturday at Workday, which, don't get me wrong, is a great place to work. I worked all day Saturday. I can't come to church on Sunday. Okay? That means your priorities are upside down. We've got to get them realigned, and that's the whole point of finding your spot. So 1 Peter 2, the Christian life is a life of action. Romans 12, actions are not just actions, actions in the abstract world. They're actions that take on various functions. And you know your function because of your gifts. So if you have specific gifts, like visiting people who are sick, then that's where you should devote your time. If you can swing a hammer, that's where you should devote your time. Make sense? This is, I mean, in some sense, the biblical texts are not hard. In fact, St. Paul is probably the easiest. He's more difficult than Jesus, or he's easier than Jesus. Because St. Paul really spells it out for you systematically. Here's what the Christian life ought to look like. But now here's the live question. Keep it down back there. If the Christian life is a life of action, and if action takes on various functions, how do we, who all function differently in the church, live together as the body of Christ? If we're all supposed to be doing different things, sometimes they overlap. But if we all have various functions and gifts, how do we live together as the body of Christ? Because one way to live is a life of chaos, which is everybody's doing everything on their own, and there's no source and center. There's no, as some theologians say, there's no inner logic to what we're doing. And when that happens, it's a life of chaos, and chaos, of course, is pre-Eden, right? So how do we live orderly, together, as the body of Christ, all doing various things, all having various functions, all exercising various gifts, but as one body who walks in step with the person of Jesus? So, look at then 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This will give us the answer. For just as the body is one and has many members. So you already know something about the body. What do you know? It's unified, and what else? And it's diverse. And it's parts, yeah, exactly. It's parts, and it's a whole, okay? So you've got some trouble on your hands. You've got to figure out how to work with all that. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. That was Ephesians chapter 5. For in one spirit, 
we were all baptized into one body. This is, remember, Romans chapter 6. You've been baptized what? Remember what it says? You've been baptized into Christ. Okay? You've moved. So here you are, Ephesians 2, necros, dead as a doornail, but you have been baptized, you've been raised into Christ. You've been moved, now you reside in the physical body of Jesus. Okay? You reside in the physical body of Jesus. And then all these things that Jesus says in the Gospels like, if a man hates his own body, or no man hates his own body, why would he treat other people this way, all have uh, significantly different implications when you understand that the body he's talking about is his own body, namely the church. Okay? Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. Now, I want to highlight um, something that Dave said a couple weeks back, because I think this summarizes it nicely. You have this language of Jews, Greeks, slave nor free, you know, and say Paul reiterates this, male nor free, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, which then very quickly becomes licensed to do whatever you'd like. So, for instance, the ELCA has, ordains women. Why do they do that? One of the primary texts is there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Okay? Now, that's a misinterpretation of the text. What the text is saying is what Dave said a few weeks back, which is equality, what did you say? In dignity and in respect... Yet, distinction in function or in office, okay? Equality in dignity and respect, yet distinction in function or office. And this is most clearly seen, of course, in the creation account of Adam and Eve. They're equal in dignity and respect, but they have very different functions. In fact, the first sin, we heard it this morning, the first sin was not Eve's, the first sin was Adam's. Adam was the pastor in the garden, Eve went and touched the fruit, and what happened? It destroyed her. Adam as pastor should have said what? Yeah, what Pastor Brusick said in the sermon this morning, which was, you know, once you touch it, you give it life. Adam as pastor should have stopped her. However, as male and female, equal in dignity and respect, yet distinction in function or in office, okay? So how does, how does this play out in the church in real life? If we were all hands, we wouldn't be a body, right? If we're all hands, we wouldn't be a body. If we're all feet, we wouldn't be a body. Some of you are hands, some of you are toes, some of you are feet, a couple of you are the head, a couple of you are arms, so on and so forth. So now keep listening. That might be Jesus calling. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, the significance of that, you all heard the part about the dry bones text, uh, Ezekiel 33 or whatever it is, uh, you know, the vision of the dry bones. The interesting thing is, um, <laughs> it's actually a picture of baptism, uh, which is what you're trying to say. Why? If the bones are dry, what do they need? Water. And what is then... What is it? What is it says the Lord breathes into the dry bones? He breathes into them the 
spirit. Water and spirit equals baptism. If you'd like to read up on this, there's a fusion book called Resurrection that sells for $15.99 from Barb Heim. <laughs> I know the author. I might be able to get you a discount. Um, yeah, believe me, they don't pay you that well. In fact, I don't think I've ever gotten a check from royalties uh, unless... No, exactly. But if you'd like it, there's a whole chapter on Ezekiel and the vision of dry bones. Okay. 37. Yeah, I didn't know if it was, I knew it was in the 30s. But, you know, when Jesus was around, there weren't Bible numbers, so we'll call it square. Okay. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, that would not make it any less part of the body. Now, there are two things going on here. One is, don't be jealous of somebody else's part, somebody else's spot, someone else's gift or office or function. And at the same time, just because you may not like your own spot doesn't mean the body ceases to exist. Guess what? You and I aren't that good. <laughs> okay? We're not that good. If it was up to you or me, you know, if we were good enough to destroy the body, well, yeah. <laughs> this is all being recorded, so I won't say anything. <laughs> Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And you notice that if a body is missing those things. It's not a body in the full way that Christ intended it to be in Eden. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So whose decision was it to make some pastors, some teachers, some lay people, uh, some people mothers, some people not mothers? Whose idea is that? It's God's idea. It's God's idea. I once said in a sermon, if you have a problem with it, take it up with the Lord. I then got a lot of emails. But... Read the text. He divides up the body as he chose. It's not up to you or me. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So a pastor can never say to his congregation, we don't need you. We'll function just as pastors. That's, um, that's a defective body. Likewise, a church can't say we have no need of a pastor. That's a defective body. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, again, God does the verbs, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And you have whole, a whole lot of things going on there, which are members have the same care for one another. That should remind you of Acts, uh, when they brought the money to the apostles, as anyone had need then, they distributed it out. So there was no distinction in the body in dignity or in respect. I just heard this morning on the news, you know, one in four kids or one in three kids in America goes to bed at night without food. That is an abomination of the Christian message. 
That is not the way the church is supposed to live. Um, so you have, you have this idea that those who are considered to be, you know, um, well, how does St. Paul say it? Less honorable, the poor, the weak, the helpless, the widows, the fatherless, children, those who are considered to be less honorable receive the greater honor. How do they receive the greater honor when the body comes together and supports each member of the body as though it were its own? And this is also from a year or two back. This is also what justice is. Justice is, um, if you don't have anything, you should be like those who have everything, and vice versa. Okay? But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So what's his goal in the body of Christ? What's his goal? And now think beyond just being poor, being a woman, having children, being a widow. Think beyond that, that there may be no division in the body. There be no division in the body. Okay? If one member suffers, all suffer together. And likewise, as I said last week, if one member sins, everyone sins. There's no opportunity for one person to say, well, this is my own deal. Whatever you do affects every member of the body. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, let me pause there and ask if you have any questions before we go on to what the church fathers called the spiritual hierarchy. Do you have any questions? Makes me nervous, Pastor Bruzek. Well, we got a lot to be thankful for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there would be. The question was is there a sense in which, if we know that there is sin within the body, that we all then are called to repent of that? Yeah, um, that is true. Um, although you can't repent for sins you yourselves don't, you yourself don't have. So there is. Don't take me as saying there's no individual aspect to the church. There's an individual aspect and a corporate aspect. Although what trumps everything is the corporate aspect. And this is why in the collects of the church we often pray for those who have sinned and gone astray. So we do that not because it's you or not because it's me, although it may be but because it's people within the body and the only proper, properly functioning body is one where everybody has been reconciled, both to the Lord and to each other. Yes? Right. As individuals, you're on your own. But when you're within the confines of the church, and there I don't mean just physically in the building, but when you rest secure in the confines of Christ's body, um, then it's full blast forgiveness. However, you know this from, I mean, you know this from the new member class. What is sin? Sin is just broken relationship, right? So it's broken relationship with God, with others, and with yourself. And if this is the body of Christ, we often talk about it. We talked about it when you were in there, which is, you know, sin oftentimes gets you right to the edge. The goal is not to have you go outside the edge of Christ. Because once you go outside, then you can't say, I rest securely in the body of Christ. Right? Anything else? 
Yes, Mr. Orton. Yes. Good. That's exactly that's exactly right. I mean, that's the way I think Pastor Bruzek was the winningest winningest coach in St. John basketball history. Girls coach. Who was the boys head coach? That's right. That was me. <laughs> I took him to the highest finish and We we I could probably tell him this story. No, I could. That the remarkable staff. I had a great assistant coach. Although officials usually couldn't tell who was the head coach or the assistant coach. <laughs> Came close, though. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good. So let's play it all the way out to its logical conclusion. This is why back in the early church, and it still applies today, uh, the word for sacramentum was originally not a sacrament in the church. It was originally what? You're right. That would be the Greek word. It was originally an oath given by a soldier. And once you gave the oath, they gave you a tattoo. And if you got the tattoo, that meant you were part of the Roman army. So if you had a tattoo, you would receive the sacramentum. If you received the sacramentum, you were then a soldier. And this is why the church fathers talk about the sancta militia, the holy military, which is the church. Now, here's the thing. Very quickly in evangelical circles, the holy military can become the predominant theme. You're always out to do what? Onward, Christian soldiers. Onward, Christian soldiers. Don, don. Yeah. Onward, Christian soldiers, which has no sense of helping those who are in need. It has a sense of what? Destroying your enemies. Yeah. And there's a time for that. But here's the thing, that's not the time right now. <laughs> but you are right. There's a time in the church when being militant is the thing to do. But very quickly, that can sort of become the predominant theme. Okay? Yes, in fact, oftentimes just being militant is being obedient. Right? There's not, you're, if you're a soldier, you're not always fighting. Right? So we're not always at war. Um, and when we're at war, we'll tell you we're at war. But we're not at war. Right now, it's about following the line behind Jesus, right? And this is also, just so you know, this is great how this all plays out. I mean, those of you who sort of balk at uh, obedience or submission, you know, here's the thing. One, it's a biblical word. And two, when St. Paul uses the word in Ephesians 5, the word for submit, when he talks about the church submitting to Christ, that too is a military term. And what it means is this. If you're fighting in the ancient world, You'd go, you know, 10 across like this and 10 deep. Who was at the front of the battle? The oldest or the youngest? The most experienced or the least? Most experienced were at the front. And if you were submitting to them, as St. Paul says, where were you? You were protected. The word does not mean servitude. It doesn't mean you go get him what he wants to drink because he's in charge. The Greek word for submit, likewise for sacramentum, means you are protected. And this is the language St. Paul, this is why Jesus says, submit to those in authority. Be obedient to your leaders. It's not like if I say to you, come pick me up at noon because you're my member, you should come pick me up. You should say, get a ride. <laughs> but when I say that's not good for you or that's not best, your default should be to say, 
okay, I'm being protected by you. Same thing in a marriage. Why do marriages go bad? Marriages go bad because this part comes up here, or this part refuses to be the protector, right? Everything goes bad when roles get reversed, because when roles get reversed, there's chaos, and when there's chaos, it's pre-Eden. Do you see how easy this is? I mean, this is like, this all makes sense. Jesus is not difficult. You okay? Do you have a question? You're good. Okay, good. 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is what St. Paul always does. He tells you something, he explains it, and he tells you again. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So there's a spiritual hierarchy. And and again, hierarchy just means submission. This is not a bad word. You have captains on a sports team. Doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that they're, they're privy to anything else. It just means someone's got to go out and talk to the referee. Right? God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So what you notice is he appoints first the ordinary offices. There are extraordinary things in the church. People can speak in tongues. People can do miracles. But those aren't the norm. Those aren't the norm. If those were the norm, he would have said, I appoint first people who speak in tongues. I appoint second workers of miracles. But he appoints first apostles. And if you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, I'll show you what he means by apostles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 2. Actually, chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 20. Acts chapter 1. Anybody have a King James lying around? Orton, you got that back there? She'll let you read it. Good. Read, read for me. Remember what's happening in Acts chapter 1, verse 20. They're about to replace Judas, they're about to pick Matthias. The apostles are about to make a choice, but it's interesting how they describe the office into which the apostle is being put. Let me read it to you in the English Standard Version, then we'll read it in the King James Version, and then we'll read it in the Greek. In the English, for it is written in the book of the Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. And we all think the office of apostle. Now, Mr. Orton, can you read that with a British accent for us? <laughs> Kidding. But if you can read verse 20, I would be grateful. Let his, say that word, bishopric. Let his bishopric another take. In the Greek, it says, let his episkopos another take. So this is not sort of a generic office of apostle. In Acts chapter 1, they are asking someone to replace Judas as apostle, but for them, apostle, A-P-O-S-T-L-E, means what? Bishop. That is the head of the spiritual hierarchy. Once again, the, the, the word appears. So, God has appointed in the church first apostles, or first bishops. 
Second, prophets. What's the job of a prophet? Speak God's word. That would probably correlate to whom? Pastors. It might. Again, this is not, I'm not saying this is a this for that. I'm just saying think about this. Prophet. Pastor. Third, teachers. You have Catholic friends. Who often teaches their uh, marriage preparation classes? Who often teaches their, uh, I always call it OCD, but that's not the right word. What's the class? CCD, that's right. What, who teaches their CCD? Sometimes you have lay people, but oftentimes it's a deacon. Yes, yeah, so teacher. Deacon. Then miracles. You notice he doesn't say fourth miracles. They do hold a different rank. Then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Yes, uh, that's in the New Revised Standard Version. Are all apostles? I mean, just these are all rhetorical questions. What are rhetorical questions? They are assertions with question marks. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? Absolutely not. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. This is why St. Paul says, if anyone desires to be an episcopos, an overseer, a bishop, he desires a noble task. And I will show you still a more excellent way. So even when you think you've sort of discovered everything, St. Paul says, with Jesus, there is a more excellent way. Okay? Yes. Uh, no, I have not been in a... Well, I don't think so, although I knew someone who said they could do it frequently, but that's always a little odd when someone says, I can do this. Yeah? Yeah, right. Uh, a couple months ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a hard thing, partly because Lutherans, how do Lutherans react to speaking in tongues? Same way they react to the Catholics, which is what? Flee, <laughs> right? That was kind of funny. <laughs> Kovic, going back to Germany. Going back to Germany. Okay, how do they react to speaking in tongues? If you ever read a Lutheran book on speaking in tongues, what do they say? Speaking in tongues doesn't actually happen anymore. And anyone who says it does must be lying. Well, that's sort of an extreme point. I mean, if the Lord wants to do it, he might be able to do it. But as you know, um, if you're going to speak in tongues, and if you actually believe it was somebody speaking in tongues, what else do you need? You need an interpreter. And that's often the missing link. Um, you should hear Pastor Nelson. He has a running joke where he says, you know, he speaks in tongues, like, bought a Dodge, should have bought a Honda, I bought a Dodge, should have bought a Honda. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but the point is, unless there's somebody around to interpret. Exactly. Well, and let's, let's, let's now push it up further. Is that chaos or order? Total chaos. Because there is no interpreter, right? There's no one to say, this is what was said, or this is what's been done. It's, it's like, you know, it's like when people just talk over each other all the time. It can be in any language, and it's chaos, right? Uh, I had someone back in the back, and then I had over here, and then I had you. Go ahead. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah, actually now that you say, actually now you say this and you ask the question, I actually do remember I did field work at a church when I was in college where they would have at the at the contemporary service live prophecy. And you got to want here's the question I would ask, why does it always happen at the contemporary service? <laughs> I mean, really. If it if it can happen any place, why is it always there? That's part that's partly it, yeah. So again, it's not that it doesn't happen, but you need an interpreter. And also, <laughs> there's a reason why he says, first there are apostles. Who's supposed to determine if it was real or not at the end of the day? The bishop, right? Ah, uh, yes, Mr. Lee, and then over here, and then we probably need to go upstairs. Go ahead. Yep. Uh, yes, that's right. It might, you might reverse that, though, and say called by God and then training, because lots of people say they have a call, but they don't get trained. Yeah. Oh, I was just trying to give you an example. In this text, that isn't referring to lay people, I don't think. But in, in real time, it often works out that way. What I'm not, here's what I'm not saying. And I'm going to say it right at the break, so then nobody can chase me down. What I'm not saying is the office of a Lutheran school teacher is a divinely mandated office. That's not what I'm saying, because it's not true. In fact, um, in fact, when it talks about pastors and teachers, that um, some read that as what's called an ep-exegetical chi, which is the word for and, meaning pastors, that is teachers, teachers, that is pastors, refers to the same office. And you can, you can read tons of people on this. Now, the way we've misinterpreted that is by saying that must refer to a day school teacher. Here's the thing, nothing against day school teachers. My own wife is one. But that's not the biblical office in the way that we often read the text. We read this text and say this is referring to Every church has a pastor, and every church has a school teacher, and that's not what it's referring to. Yep. Exactly. It's, a, it's the same thing with deacons. People often say, well, anybody can be a deacon. You know that in, in the history of the church, deacons have always been ordained. Deacon is part of the pastoral office. So even though they do what we would consider a very secular thing, manage the money, manage the building, it is an ordained office. And actually, you can read somebody like Kenneth Corby, may his soul rest in peace, a very prominent Lutheran Church Missouri Synod guy who was trying to advocate a, a more biblical model, which was to have deacons in the church. What he said was, we got all these men running around who are Lutheran school teachers, parish administrators, cantors, everything. They all have a call to the parish, but that's not the biblical model. Let's ordain those men as deacons, and then they can serve in whatever capacity they're currently serving in. So Mueller, wherever he's at, he would be a deacon. But his job as deacon would be to be the cantor of the congregation. Make sense? Start with Jesus. You have to start with Christ. I had one last thing. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. They do. Um, it is, I mean, technically the word deacon just means an office of service. Diakonos. Diakonia. Um, but you've got to wonder, at the biblical time, you know, the bishop was actually bigger than a city because they were so spread out. So he was never around or rarely around. Um, and same thing with the pastor. If you had thousands and thousands of people under your care who lived in, you know, miles and miles surrounding the parish, he may not be there to teach the three-year-old Sunday school. So I think partly it was set up that way um, just to survive. Okay. All right, we're at two after. Let's go. 
Pastor, are you up next week? Okay. Someone will be up next week. Okay. All right. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for coming.